Thanks for praying for us, Betty, and for me. We're uh, entering um, a new season in nature, of course, as spring moves to summer. We're entering the growing season with crops in the ground and buds starting to shoot up out of the ground. And it makes me think of the work of the Holy Spirit in us, how he is planted deep within and cultivates the character of Christ in our life, um, which Galatians talks about as the, uh, Paul in his letter to the Galatians talks about as the fruit of the Spirit. This spring, this summer, we're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Um, one fruit per Sunday, all the way to September, essentially. Uh, Brittany and I will have some vacation there in August where we'll take a break. Uh, but in this growing season, we'll be looking to grow together uh, in the Spirit. But today, I would love to set the stage for this series by reading the passage where uh, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit and situating it in the context of his letter to the church in Galatia. So let's turn together into our Bibles, Galatians chapter 5, and we'll begin reading at verse 13. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say... Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus has cru have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. The image that Paul is working with here is that of a parade, a people on march. In fact, the Greek word Paul uses in verse 25 is actually a, a, a military term. So if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Stoikio is the Greek word. 
Stoichio is march in a line, proceed in a row as the march of a soldier. I have not been in the military. I've never participated in a military march. I've seen things like that happen on TV, so I have a sense for what it looks like. There's a leader, there's a crew of followers, and the job of the leader is to set the pace and to lead, and the job of the followers is to keep in step. So if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Given Paul's argument in Galatians, it's a little strange, I think, that he chooses to use a military metaphor to help us picture our life with Christ in the Spirit. After all, Paul has just spent four chapters railing against legalism and forcefully opposing those who keep who think keeping in step with the law is necessary in order to be righteous before God. When Paul planted the church in Galatia, he came proclaiming not Jewish law and custom, but he came proclaiming Christ and Christ crucified. The gospel he proclaimed was not, this is what you need to do in order to be right with God, be circumcised, refrain from this or that food. No, not that at all. The gospel he brought was the gospel that he had received, the one that had changed him from the inside out, and it is this, that there is freedom and forgiveness in Christ for all who believe. doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've come from, your last name, the color of your skin. Here's the good news. Paul writes in Galatians 3, you, the church, you are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with him. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The all-sufficient Jesus, that message, the message of the cross, the resurrection, righteousness in Christ, this was the solid foundation that the church in Galatia was built upon by Paul who came preaching that gospel. But then Paul moved on to preach the gospel in other towns and villages. And then some Christians with a Jewish background came for a visit. And these particular Jewish Christians called Judaizers, they were worried about the influence of paganism on the church. And they started to insist upon some extra rules and practices for these new Christians. Yes, faith in Christ Jesus, but... You also need to be circumcised in accordance with the Old Testament covenant if you want to participate in the covenant family. Now, we might scoff at these Judaizers, these Jewish Christians, for adding their extras to the finished work of Christ, but try to see things from their perspective. When they looked at the, the Bible, the Old Testament Law, what they saw was God making an everlasting covenant with Abraham. And part of that everlasting covenant was circumcision. And God said to Abraham, this is for all times and places. So they're trying to wrestle with this word from the Old Testament. And so these were really big churches for the uh, questions for the church to make sense of. What does it mean? that there is new life in Christ for all who believe. How does this 
connect with the Old Testament that, you know, the tradition we have received. And in the end, the church, led by the Spirit, became convinced that Paul, that became convinced, like Paul, that nothing needs to be added in addition to faith in Christ Jesus to make a person right with God. It's not Jesus and circumcision or Jesus and Jewish ritual law. It's Jesus and faith in his finished work, period. Paul is particularly passionate about this because he knows the futility of trying to keep in step with the law. He lived that life and it did not produce a harvest of righteousness. Not at all. Here's the thing about rules and regulations and extras added onto the gospel. In some, some situations, it can be helpful, of course, to have rules. A community without some regulations is a little like a tomato plant without a trellis. It's, it can be unruly. But what good is a trellis if the tomato plant itself is dead on the inside? Rules can support life, but they can't give life. That needs to come from the inside. And here's another thing about rules. It's possible to faithfully keep the Sabbath, to faithfully undergo circumcision on the eighth day in accordance with the law, but we can do those things for the wrong reasons. This was the problem of the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. The older brother was the rule keeper. But he doesn't, he doesn't keep the rules out of love for his father. In fact, he keeps the rules because he knows that if he keeps them, it's a most successful strategy for him because he's going to get what he wants from the father. So he does good works so that he can get what he wants. That is the wrong spirit at work. Rules and regulations are good at restraining evil and establishing order, but they cannot produce love in our hearts any more than a trellis can give life to a tomato plant. And even if someone's heart is in the right place, and even if they're following the rules as best they can, I mean, who among us can stand before God and say that we have a clean record, that we are righteous by what we have done, When our lives are measured up against God's law, all of us are guilty of not measuring up. And only one man, Jesus, lived a totally obedient life and followed both the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And he did so with a pure heart. Jesus deserved the inheritance of a faithful son, but instead he willingly took our punishment carried the cross so that we could have the blessing he deserved and his perfect record. It's being a reciprocal of radical love like this, having this message make its home deep in us that transforms us from the inside out. Circumcision cuts the flesh, but the gospel cuts to the heart and changes us deep within. And how dare, says Paul, and how dare someone come in and say some, that something in addition to faith in Christ's finished work is necessary to make us right with God? 
Not only does that steal a Christian's assurance of their salvation, but it also downplays Christ's once and for all sacrifice on the cross. So Paul is making all these points in his letter. He's really hard on these Judaizers. He's quite feisty. And he's feisty because the gospel is at stake. And what he wishes for those who challenge it is that they would go all in on circumcision and castrate themselves, which is one of the things he suggests that they do in his feisty letter. But now you can imagine Paul's Jewish critics forming a response. Imagine they're still present in the community and uh, giving their input to what Paul has written. Imagine them saying, what about righteousness, Paul? Won't all this free grace be tra- taken advantage of like the father's generosity was taken advantage of by, by the younger brother in the parable of the prodigal son? Thanks for the inheritance, Jesus. Now I'm going to go to the bar and I'm going to skip church and I'm going to fully enjoy my freedom in Christ. I actually had a friend who went down this path in university. His 19-year-old response to the gospel was, this is awesome. Nothing I can do can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, what does it matter what I do? So he threw himself into the desires of his sinful nature so that, well, grace would abound even more, he thought. But this attitude misses the point of the gospel too. For as Paul will argue in chapter 5, our freedom from the law is not freedom to indulge the sinful nature. That misses the point. He says in verse 13, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Meaning you are not under the law and its requirements anymore. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, use this freedom to serve one another humbly in love. So you're free from circumcision, sacrifices, and required trips to Jerusalem. But don't misuse this freedom as if it were a license to live carelessly. Use it for service. Use it for good. Walk by the Spirit. Jesus gave us his best. Jesus gave us his all. Jesus poured out his precious blood. And those who use that gift for self-serving ends are simply out of touch. And they have not been touched deep down in the heart. Not only have they not been touched or internalized this message, but they are out of touch with the Spirit and what the Spirit is doing in us. For Paul, keeping in step with the Spirit is the way. It is the path that avoids the ditch of legalism on the one side and the ditch of self-centered living on the other side. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel foretold of a day when the Lord would give his people a new heart and breathe a new spirit into them. And that on that day, he would empower his people to live lives of obedience. Well, at Pentecost, that spirit was poured out. 
After Jesus' ascension, Jesus told his disciples to go to Jerusalem to wait. They did. And when the time was right, Jesus poured out his spirit on his disciples and it changed them in a profound way. Peter remained Peter, but his confusion regarding Jesus was transformed into gospel clarity. And the disciple that had previously disowned Jesus was now preaching Jesus boldly. And each of the disciples was changed just like that in this profound way. And not only did the Spirit come upon them to empower them for mission and ministry, but the Spirit also came to dwell within them to renovate their hearts and to cultivate Christ's character within them. Here's the reality for those who have received Christ and the gospel. The reality is that there is now something new in us, a foreign power, God himself. We've been invaded. And now God is starting to colonize our hearts, our lives, to cultivate us. God's Holy Spirit is within The Spirit applies the gospel to our hearts. The Spirit leads us to repentance. And once within, he also begins to shape us to make us look and sound more like Jesus. But as as is the case with anything new added to the body, it takes a while for the body to accept and to submit to this new power within. So verse 16, Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. This is a struggle. And every honest follower of Jesus knows about it, experiences it. The conflict is real. The old me, the sinful nature me, wants to nurse the grudge, not let go, make my neighbor pay for wrongs they have committed. The new me, the filled with the spirit me, knows that forgiveness is the way of Jesus. The old me, the led by the sinful nature me, wants to check out, wants to drink beer, wants to eat chips, wants to pound a whole tub of Ben and Jerry's while watching TV. The new me, filled with the spirit me, says a bubbly and some fruit and a good bedtime is the best way to unwind after a long week. Can you feel the conflict? Anyone? Anyone else? Just me? Hopefully not. The spirit encourages me to give generously as God has been generous with me. The sinful nature in me recoils in fear every time I open the wallet. The Spirit directs me to faithfulness, to wife and family. The sinful nature takes my imagination elsewhere. The struggle, sinful nature, spirit is real. And the question is, who will... I keep in step with? Who will I be led by? What part of my being will I 
will I follow? Paul gives us a picture of what the sinful nature leads to. He says the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies. This list is not exhaustive, of course. It's meant to be representative. Our sinful nature would prefer that limits not be placed on our sexuality. Our sinful nature wants wants spiritual power, but we want to yield it for our own control and purposes. Idolatry and witchcraft. Our sinful nature wants to get its own way and is willing to do what it takes to get it, like throw temper tantrums, sow seeds of divisions, create factions, jealousy, rage, etc. Our sinful nature wants pleasure orgies, food, exotic drinks, cookies, you know, just more. I want more. But when we walk in step with the sinful nature, we are not keeping in step with what the Holy Spirit has been, has been sent to do in us. And the consequences of following the sinful nature are dire, says Paul. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, in this point, a pastoral point, it's important to know that there is a big difference between occasional sin that is named, mourned, repented of, and and then, on the other side, sin that is perpetual, not named, not mourned, and not repented of. Paul's warning here is not meant to scare or debilitate those who are in the struggle. It's meant to warn the complacent about the dangers of making a home or settling deep within the sinful nature and giving up on the fight. Those who struggle to be holy are being led by the Spirit. Those who give up and give in are not. Let's not grieve the Spirit by callously following the lead of our sinful nature. Instead, let us walk by the Spirit and keep in step. One of the things I appreciate about Paul's choice of words is that the Holy Spirit is here pictured as an active participant in the struggle. He's not like the boss who keeps his distance, judging your performance from the safety of his office. No, the Spirit is in the mix, inside, The Spirit is pictured here walking in front, and we are called to keep in step. The path to Christ-like living and character is not a solo hike. God's power is within. His personal presence is out front to lead. Now, the sinful nature, if followed, it leads to destruction, but... Spirit, the Spirit, cultivates fruit. Here they are. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Once again, this list isn't exhaustive of the kind of character the Spirit is cultivating, but it is representative. And in this growing season, spring, summer, into the fall, we're going to look at each one of these in greater detail. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is what the Spirit is doing in us. This is how He's leading us. When we keep in step with the Spirit, we continue to put off the sinful nature, we can expect to experience and see more of this fruit in our life. This past week, I planted my veggie garden, or at least some of it, and thankfully the frost did not destroy my precious little tomato starters. It was a close one. I I was worried about it, but all is well. Eleven of the twelve tomatoes I planted um, survived, and one of them, for whatever reason, just dropped over dead. I didn't do anything to it. It just, it just died. Okay. Not sure what happened, but it's something like rotted from the inside out. Like it was like the stem was just brown and it looked bad. It was a good reminder for me that the life of my little tomatoes, they're, it's hidden within. You know, you see signs of it on the outside. You see the leaves. Hopefully I'll see the fruit eventually, but that life, it's within. And so it is with the Christian life. The life within, the Spirit animating us, filling us. And when we keep in step with the sinful nature, when we get corrupted from within, it leads to death, and we know it, and we feel it, and we see it in ourselves, and it produces bad fruit, and we don't like it. If I continue down that path, it's bad. It's bad news. Maybe it's time to be led by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit in a more intentional way. Let Him lead you to Christ anew, to experience, once again, the total forgiveness of sin. Let that cut you to the heart in this special way that only that message can do. And then, Let the Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead have His way in you and in your body. And together as a community, let's continue to put off the old and to put on the new and keep in step with the Spirit who has been sent to lead. He will produce a harvest of righteousness. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, you have given us what we need for life and godliness. Your power is within. Help us to feel that in a deep way today. 
and encourage to step out and walk as followers of your spirit. For those in the struggle, Lord, strengthen them. Give them comfort in knowing that their sins have been forgiven completely. And empower them, Lord, for the journey ahead. We pray that for, I pray that for all of us and as a community that we could link arms, walk in step with one another and with you. And as we enter this series, Lord, in this new season, we do pray that we could see the good fruit that you intend for us and our community. So lead us and guide us, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen.